Our second lesson will serve as the basis for our sermon today. It comes from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Let's pray. Shepherds bow before the Lamb, gazing at the glory. Gifts of men from distant lands prophesy the story. Gold, a king, is born today. Incense, God is with us. Myrrh, his death will make a way, and by his blood he'll win us. Son of Adam, son of heaven, given as a ransom, reconciling God and man, Christ, our mighty champion. What a savior, what a friend, what a glorious mystery. Once a babe in Bethlehem, now the Lord of history. Dear Father, as we ponder these truths today, increase in us an appreciation of what they mean for us now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. G.F. Northall. Heard of him? G.F. Northall. Let me double check the date. Got it. 1894. 1894, G.F. Northall wrote this little 43-page tract, a little pamphlet entitled Folk Phrases of Four Counties. Ever heard of it? In this little pamphlet, he did exactly what the title suggests. He wrote down the folk phrases from four counties in England. He wrote down things that people say so that they'd be recorded for posterity. One of those phrases, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. What an interesting phrase. You ever hear that one growing up? I did. I think I can appreciate what the adult role models in my life were trying to accomplish with that phrase. It's kind of like they're saying to me, 
hey, hey kid, you, you didn't get punched in the face. If you got punched in the face and your jaw was broken, there'd be nothing you could do to control the, the pain. But you didn't get punched in the face. Somebody said something mean to you. They're just words. You could forget about them and the pain will go away. It's kind of like if you actually did get punched in the face and you're lying on the ground crying and somebody came up and they reached down their hand and they said, come on, get up, you're going to be okay. It's kind of that approach to somebody saying something mean to you, right? Come on, get up, you'll be okay, brush it off. The problem I have with that folk phrase, that thing that folks have been saying for, well, well over 100 years now, he wrote it down in 1894. It doesn't mean they only started saying it in 1894, right? Probably a long time before that. The problem I have with that phrase is that it doesn't do the power of words justice. Words are quite powerful. I want you to listen to the words of God through Jesus' half-brother James in James chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. <clears throat> it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Words are powerful. They're capable of far more than a fist. In his word, God describes himself as love. Not like love. He says he is love. God describes himself as life. Not like life. He is life. He describes himself as light. Again, not like light, but he is light. And this morning you heard him describe himself as word. Not like a word. He is word. And what is word? A word is a collection of sounds that has a, a meaning tied to it, right? And if you take that collection of sounds that has one meaning tied to it and you put it together with a whole bunch of sounds that have meaning tied to them, a whole bunch of words, you get sentences, paragraphs, in what, less than five minutes, I've taken you on a journey to 19th century England. Then we discussed your childhood. Then we listened to a portion of God's word discussing the power of words. We did all of that. 
We journeyed to all those places in just a few minutes. How is that possible? Words. Words are the essence of communication. We get to use these things we call words to send messages to one another. And we can do so with incredible detail. And here God says that in his essence, he is communication, perfect, flawless communication. And that communication is powerful. He spoke all things into existence except for us. He spoke all things into existence except for the ones with whom he desired to communicate. Humanity. Us he formed, us he made. And he made us different from everything else in all creation. He made us able to understand him. Able to understand messages that he would communicate with us. You'd think that the word of God would be a phrase that we would love. That when we hear God's word, we would get excited. But instead, we live in a world where the opposite happens, and I think we would do well to realize that the world's approach to the word of God rubs off on us more than we'd like to admit. (laughs) Why do you believe that we're not evolved again? The word of God? Why do you believe the world is the way it is? You think there was a a global flood? Where's your proof? The word of God? Give me a break. Show me something I can see. Give me some real proof. Give me something that makes sense or something that at least feels right. Come on, can't you do better than the word of God? You'd be a fool if you think that hasn't rubbed off on you. We prove all the time how little we value the word of God. I had a thought this morning. Should I keep preaching two different sermons for Christmas? One on Christmas Eve and one on Christmas Day. Is that worth my time? If I'm preaching to two different groups of people, why make two? A few of you were here last night, but many weren't. And many who were here last night aren't here today. Perhaps there's good reason for that. I can't judge. But is the word of God so trivial that, ah, I showed up to celebrate the birthday of the king ah, about 16 hours ago. Do I need to go back again? I mean, what's the big deal? Is the word of God really so unimportant? You know the story of the word, right? God creates these two humans, Adam and Eve, with whom he had perfect communication. There was no flaw in the messaging. He gave them one command. Respect me, honor me as your creator. Don't eat the fruit from this one tree. And of course they, they did. Sin entered the world, death through sin. 
That sin has been passed down from generation to generation. It is the reason that our communication is so often broken. It is the impetus behind the the fire, the pain, the bitterness that these words can contain, that this tongue can send toward another human being, one that this tongue also claims to love. It's sin which causes these words lit on fire by hell to cause so much damage in our lives. We prove it day after day, year after year. We are broken. We are no longer in perfect relationship with the God who created us. What should really blow our minds, and I mean blow our minds, is that God would still want to communicate with us. That he didn't give up on us. That he would still come to us in word and speak to us. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The very essence of communication, the word itself who became flesh to dwell among us. Why? To communicate with us more clearly than ever. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word that God himself would become a man. Why? To offer his life as a sacrifice for sin. And there's something amazing about this sacrifice for sin offered on the altar of the cross. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we got this thing here. It's called a chair. Right? I get to sit on this week after week. See it? Do you know what was not in the temple? One of these. There was no chair in the tabernacle. There was no chair in the temple. You know why? Because the the priest could never sit down. The work was never done. Sacrifices day after day, month after month, year after year. But when God takes on flesh, when the blood of the God-man is poured out for the sins of the world, that only need be done once. When he's done, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God because purification for sins was done. His sacrifice was accepted. No more work to do. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It's clear from this section that the author to the Hebrews has a purpose in writing. Some were saying that Jesus wasn't that big of a deal. The word of God? Ah, 
He's like another messenger. He's like the angels, those messengers that God sent. You know, powerful, sure. God, no. The writer of the Hebrews says, you're not listening. You're not listening to the word of God. And so he quotes Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. Why? To prove Jesus is way superior to the angels, even the God-man Jesus, because having finished his work, even as the God-man, he retook his place. True God. Humanity was swallowed up into the divine. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. An old Christian long ago said there are three miracles that happen at Christmas. The first, that God would become man. Wow. The second, that he would do so through the virgin birth. Wow. The third, that anyone would believe it. All three miracles have happened because of the power of the word of God. A savior is born, born to dwell among us. He did. He is. And thanks to his work, we will dwell with him forever. Merry Christmas. Amen.